Welcome to the Accountants Exposed podcast, where we create light bulb moments for our listeners by exposing the journeys, secrets, and insights of some of the top players in accounting. This podcast is brought to you by Michael Edelstein, Director and Founder of Recruitment Expert, a specialist accounting recruitment agency working across Australia, New Zealand, and Asia Pacific. Ladies, gentlemen, and accountants, I'm excited to have Kylie Parker in our podcast, considered by many as one of the most influential women in accounting, with Twitter being her weapon of choice. She's one of the most interesting accountants I've had the privilege to talk to. She started several accounting firms, does interior design, has a side hustle, travel the world, worked in every type of accounting firm possible, published two books, and is probably one of the most open people you can imagine. And for all we know, she might be Hugh Jackman's accountant. Today we get personal and talk about all sorts of personal shit like divorce, leaving an equity partnership, financial woes, as well as all the business stuff. Now Kylie is obsessed with tech, okay, for those that don't know her. And if she doesn't streamline the process, then that process better watch out. So dig in and enjoy. Also a little community announcement, make sure you get your tickets to the County Expo in Darling Harbour for the 28th and 29th of April so you can get your dose of CBD hours, listen to amazing speakers over two days, including me. And learn something new. Well, hopefully. So get your tickets. Don't worry, they're free, so no tax deduction. And I look forward to seeing you there. There's a link in the show notes where you can register for your tickets. Hi, Kylie. Welcome to the Accountants Exposed podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me on. Now, you've been in accounting for well over 20 years now. I have. Tell me... Tell me a bit about your journey into and in the industry. So I decided I wanted to be an accountant in year 10. And that was because I had an art teacher that didn't like my beautiful cape that I made. And I had decided that it was too subjective. And I'd also seen uh, during the holidays that management accountants earned over $100,000 at the time. I thought that was quite a bit of money. So I changed all my electives, picked up three unit maths, three unit economics, dropped art. And, uh, and that was that was my decision made. And so then I it just was from there, went down to University of Wollongong. And at uni, I decided I wanted to be a partner in a big eight firm at the time. And, uh, and then when I was coming out of university, a lot of the, it was uh, 1993 and there'd been a bit of a, a, an economic dip. So they weren't recruiting mm. as much. So I started my last semester, I got a, a job four days a week and uh, at a firm called Isis, which uh, has <laughs> changed their names, funnily enough, since then. But um, I, uh, I started there and then I got to a point where I was wanting to do my CA and so I moved to a, a larger firm in the city and uh, that was called Southerton's. And, uh, and I, were they in the city or in Bondi? They were in the city at the time. So Southerton's yeah, okay. merged and, uh, and one of the partners that, who I actually had worked for, a guy called Robert Rockland, he uh, got the name Subbertons again after sort of some of the other partners had uh, retired. Um, ah, that's the story. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and so he um, I don't, I, he had a kind of a few. Both of the uh, people that I had worked for were a bit creative, and uh, and so my first job I actually got with my CV being in the format of a balance sheet. So I had sort of my assets. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Had my assets listed, listed. Liabilities. I said due to some creative accounting, there weren't any. <laughs> um, owners equity I had uh, referees and so he was someone that uh, we had 
uh, sort of Leo McKern, I think his name was. And, and so he had some creative clients. And then my second uh, boss was the same. So he sort of looked after some people that did like uh, filmmakers for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, uh, some of the theatre production companies. And then so my uh, next role, I went, still was wanting to sort of following that path of wanting to work in a, a, a bigger accounting firm. And so I got a job in Deloitte in 1996. And while I was there, I we had a few people that were doing um, across the firm. So you obviously sort of you have your tax silos and you know, I was in the uh, business services, Deloitte Private, mm. which was called Growth Solutions back then, and sort of started working with people that had entertainment industry clients, so people like Greg Norman, Jimmy Barnes. Um, we looked at the looked after the crowded house farewell and so from there I went and worked overseas in the BBC for a little while traveled so kind of traveling is one of my main priorities in life got over 70 is that, is that when you got the travel bug I do have a travel bug so I've traveled to over 70 is countries it... so I'm not coping with lockdown I've actually I've actually booked <laughs> a trip to Nick for next Europe now but really where, where are you going uh, I'm going to do fly into to London because I figured that's probably one of the the places that we'll open up to I was like, did you book at the moment Qantas announced that they're going to have direct flights? I haven't booked any flights, no. Okay. I've just booked all the accommodation and all through like bookings.com and all no pay- payment up front and then also cancel. So kind of it's a pretty yeah, safe okay. way of doing it. And then once we get the flights, I'll, I'll put those in at the end. Well, when, when is that booked for? September. So, oh, ages away. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you, do you really plan all your stuff that far ahead? Yeah. <laughs> I do, tra- I do plan my travel a year out in advance. Okay. Is that big always or is it just because of work or what? Uh, always. I just, you get really good deals um, with flights and things normally a year in advance. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also. I'm the opposite. I'm the guy in the books at like four weeks in advance. I'm like, oh yeah. I've, I've never s- booked anything four weeks in advance. I just couldn't. <laughs> um, but I've never been caught out apart from, you know, we did have a trip booked to Europe July, 2020, which obviously COVID cancelled that. And I literally just got a refund from Webjet yesterday. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> Took a bit of time. It did take a bit of time. Um, Have you always been that structured in your life and like that organized? I think so, actually. I've, it's been doing my head in. My older son, who's in year 11, is terrible at planning. And so helping, having them in my office and seeing what they're like. Um, I've got another son who's in year nine. And just their lack of structure and their lack of planning, I find it... It's so incredibly frustrating that I've even put him through a, a coaching program. <laughs> a coaching, like uh, yeah. run by you? No, or no. A separate one? It's actually, it's a really good program, but he hasn't sort of picked up the uh, the hints of you know, a study plan and what you should be doing. So, um, Did you have that as a kid, like when you were going through school? Yeah, I did actually. Um, it was funny. I was recently up in my son's room where I've stored a lot of my old books and I came across a letter that I'd written and it must have been something we were doing for, you know, pretend you're writing to a, a newspaper. And I was talking about how it was unfair that we had to do cooking and sewing and we weren't given opportunities to, to be doing uh, woodwork and, you know, what if we wanted to become an architect and what if some of the guys wanted to be. <laughs> and I was in year eight when I wrote that. So apparently, and I'd forgotten, obviously, I'd, I'd written that, but I was, um, I, um, I had very neat writing back then, which... Oh man, yeah. uh, like my, I can barely read my writing these yeah. days, honestly. Like my, I can't say my writing was that great at school, but like I literally struggled to read it some days. I 
Are you yeah. you in the same boat? I'm in the same boat. It's it's doctor's yeah. call. Yeah, I don't. I wonder why that happens. It's just because we spend so much time typing instead of writing. I think so. And it just kind of deteriorates. Yeah, but even the children, like even my kids, don't have neat writing now. I just don't think hmm. that emphasis on. Are your kids in a school that spends a lot of time on iPads and laptops? Yes, not as much. So they've swapped schools. So they were in a, a they're at Waverley College. So sort of a. The Catholic yeah. school there it was much better in terms of the IT department and what they had. They all had um, Macs and mm. a lot more structure. Where they're now in a performing arts school at Newtown, and it's a little bit because they're in that incline, or is it because they got inspiration from mum? Well, I did put them both into dancing, and thinking that <laughs> it just was at Brent Street at uh, Moor Park, and it was largely around. Uh, just coordination and, and a little bit of discipline as well. I think dance is really yeah. good for that. And uh, and they both kept going. So my older son only stopped uh, this year to focus on his studies. Mm. That, that, uh, that's worked, but anyway. Um, and uh, my younger one's still going. So he's actually, he loves parkour. So a large part of our lockdown yeah, is wow. he had been following him around and jumping off things that sometimes... Scary. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Did you... um? Uh, like we're, we're, the reason I ask is interesting because I'm kind of at that stage where you know we're expecting a child and, oh, I, and I realized thank you um, but it, it comes with its own challenges and one of them that we realized recently is a lot of our friends have put down their kids names at a private school from birth and I'm like what the hell like how the hell do you even know where you'll be living what you'll be doing if you'll be alive what your financial situation will be where your you know your kids kind of inclinations yeah. are like you said, some will be artsy, some will be more academic, etc. Like, what what did you do? Or was that even an issue back in I, those times? I so my boss when I started at Deloitte, his he lived down St. Susie, still does, and his son went to Waverley College, and a lot of we were living at Bondi at the time, and a lot of Waverley College sort of young men that I'd met, they were always incredibly polite. Um, to me, it was they didn't have some of the level of ego maybe that I'd seen in other schools and obviously working at Deloitte you come across a lot of people a lot of people that were clients of options traders and and different people that have come from Mm. different schools a lot of I grew up in a public school area and a lot of my friends have actually done quite well from public school um so you I think you always find your own kind of views but to me Waverley College was a a middle option it sort of was it had the benefits of private schools um, in terms of very yeah. nice campus, but it then um, didn't have what I perceived to be some of the the entitlement, I suppose, that sometimes mm. you can have. I find, yeah, Catholic schools are generally kind of, except St. Catherine's, like mm. they generally have a good middle ground. It's just, it, it's interesting now because I think things have changed where, well, it didn't like suit, I went to, I oh, know, just like I, I went, so you're saying you didn't suit your kids? No. Or, no. Really? How come? No. Uh, because of the, the they were dancing, they weren't sort of rugby boys, um, mm. and so that was the the youngest son coming through. He just got himself in with a group of friends as well that uh, I, I didn't necessarily think were a good influence on him, um, mm. and uh, and it just he was starting to change. So if they wanted to stop doing the things they wanted to do because for their own reasons, but they were getting taunted and you know if you dance you must be gay that kind of still um behavior so both of them so we decided to move to get the younger son uh, into newtown that's sort of 
both of them got shortlisted, one for drama, one for dance that didn't get in. So we made the uh, let's up and move. And it, it coincided with other things happening in my life um, as well. But You never considered the whole private school thing? Like, you know, the, do, do you know the Newingtons and all that? Uh, so my godson's at Newington. Um, uh, and my now husband went to Trinity. And yeah. so we talk about sometimes with my younger son, you know, potentially putting him in. But they're, he's got a really lovely group of friends now. And, they, like, their friends are just so important, I think particularly for boys, maybe both. But um, mm. uh, I think in terms of their uh, the peer pressure and, and what they're going to achieve, that uh, my older son, I don't really necessarily think he's got a good group of friends and it shows when my younger one, they're just very supportive of each other. They're always encouraging each other to... Um, be active, uh, just, I don't know, he has a very organised friend who I just think is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, how did I get that? <laughs> so he's always organising them to do different things. And so during yeah. lockdown, like, they'll go out and they'll play football or book a tennis court for them the other day. So they're trying to do one thing a day. That's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, My older one, Lucy's got a job actually at the moment at Coles, which I'm thinking that. That's where I had my first job as well. Yeah. Check out, check. Yeah. Best job ever. Love oh, yeah, it. He's... He paid more than Maccas. Well, he started at Maccas and he didn't last at Maccas, <laughs> which was concerning. Um, Why? The lack of systems and structure? Well, <laughs> okay. So this is really weird. So in McDonald's, their automated system is very good, but you have to log in to it. And so I think yep. just that he'd miss shifts and he, he sort of said that wasn't the case, but reading between the lines, I think he was a bit unreliable. Where Coles, <laughs> and I cannot believe this, their roster system is done through a WhatsApp group. Seriously, yeah. but it works wow. for him because he sees it. It's like in like another alert. So I don't. It's an interesting insight into technology okay. that is, is. How do you cope with being so structured and organized yourself, and having been that way from a young age, and having people around you that are not structured and organized? Well, and they're in I'm your life, and you can't husband, get rid of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> and he's another accountant. He's someone I actually met on the Deloitte Partner Program uh, years ago, and yeah. so. We have the spreadsheet for our holiday and he did the spreadsheet for our recent renovation. Um, so I, I have... Does that make a difference? Yeah, like, does that kind of, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, it does. It just, um, I suppose to me, if I... I'm happy to change plans. Like I, if something changes, then you just go with the flow. But I like something to look uh, forward to, which is an interesting one for me at the moment, being this point in my career that it's... Um, you're always, uh, you know, when you're younger, it's getting, you know, well, what do I want to be? And then you are that. And then it's like, well, what do I want to achieve in that career? And then if you've done that, and then if it's um, travel or whether, you know, I've written a book, got different types of businesses, I've had a bigger business I was a partner in, and it's what's your next plan and what's your next goal? So that's the bit that I'm struggling mm. with as to, well, what's next? Um, and you know, the idea of sort of retirement and sitting around the beach, I'd probably get bored. I literally was bored yesterday because we've had a renovation going. I've had all the kids in the office, work's been quite busy, and I'm sort of, I do a lot of film and TV audits. I don't actually have any in at the moment. I finished four last week. And so now I'm going, yes, I was actually, I'm bored. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, what is wrong with me? So I had to clean. I hate cleaning. Like clean, clean I can see there's a rocking. I can see there's a rocking chair in the office. Actually, it is. is yes. that, like, 
is it is it just like uh one of those pieces as part of Lotus Home or is it uh, I think no, they actually chill out on no, it? No, that is um it normally has a mass a back massager actually on it uh, that I just took off. And that's you know, sitting down at the desk cross legged, I'm a bit crooked. Probably I would recommend anyone okay. starting out, start out, feet in front of you, straight, good posture. So you actually chill out in the chair once every yeah, yeah. couple of hours? Uh, yeah? Probably okay. not every couple of hours, but I will try and sit in there and turn it on. Yeah, just, I've tried to move a little bit more. I think that's part of the problem with lockdown is, for me, um, some people have got really fit where I've tended to, I think having mm. the children around as well, just sort of, it's not easy to focus. So I've been sitting down yeah. or sitting down at work, sitting down when I get home. We went for a walk this morning. <laughs> Important. <laughs> so are you going yeah, to put your children down on a private school then what's your decision uh this is the thing so when we look at all of our friends and the majority of them are enrolled in like private schools and it kind of makes me think like once we've done a survey of everyone is i think i feel like it's changed because australia has a and i looked at the stats we have like the highest or one either one that has the highest uptake of private schooling in the oecd kind of world um and i didn't realize how bad kind of that is because what I'm finding happens is you have your kind of top echelon society or well, not top echelon, whoever can afford private school fees mm. will put their kids into a private school fee, uh, sorry, a private school. And then you have the ones like the migrants will put their kids into selective schools because mm-hmm. we have a huge selective school system in New South Wales. I didn't realize that either until I researched that mm. compared to all the other states, ours is massive. Mm. Um, and then you have the other ones that either don't like the whole, you know, when I talk to Anglo parents and their first thing about selective schools, like, well, mm-hmm. you know, it's all Chinese and Indian. I don't really want my kids to go there. You know, or they use the words, it's not as diverse, but it's only not as diverse because they're white, mm-hmm. really. So they wouldn't, all the kids can't get in there because I find Anglo parents are very much against the whole like tutoring for years beforehand. Mm-hmm. Whereas Asian parents are like, no, 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 three hours of tutoring every day is good for your son. Yeah. And then you've got the Catholic school system, which is kind of like holistic slash people that can't afford maybe 40 grand a year for multiple kids. Yeah. And then that makes me think, okay, cool. So you, you take away all these people, selective private Catholic. What have you got left in the public school system? Mm. You know, um, in, in, in the like affluent suburbs, yeah. you don't really have much left, like except probably the lower socioeconomic or potentially troubled families. Obviously some exceptions, I'm completely generalizing here and yeah. kind of hypothetical. And that makes you worried. It's like, well, I wanted to send my kids to, you know, in public school, but then what are the demographics in the public school given what else is happening? Yeah. There? around so that that was my concern and it made me realize that system is a bit screwed up where you have private schools they get so much funding yeah. uh, and it's such a big system instead of just having it egalitarian where you just have a lot of public schools they get a lot of funding and it's all in the level playing field and finland did a really interesting thing they outlawed all private schools uh like 40 plus years ago yeah, yeah and they've got like in terms of rankings based on exam results they're the only country like Western country in the top 10, I think. Uh, everyone else is, they're like number two in the world. Everyone else is Asian countries, basically. Right. So I found that fascinating. Well, I think my difference too is if you go through a public school and you do well, it's you have to be self-motivated. Like I see what mm. help the boys get and you know, and I know the teachers are trying their hardest, but they have, they're only required to do one Zoom lesson a week, the teachers. Mm. So whereas all my friends' kids that are in private schools, they are rocking up with a shirt on every morning. And, and yeah, it's, it's hands-off with the parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, where, you know, my... I don't get that either. 
I don't. I genuinely don't understand why public school because I have parents like people that work for me. I have mothers. Yeah. The ones that are in public schools, yeah. they are struggling with the whole homeschooling yeah. thing. We're uh, getting a really United big States gap well. between the public and the private schools, and the the technology. Yeah, I don't understand why a teacher is a teacher. Like they're employed for the same period of time, they're employed to mm. do the same thing. Why can't they deliver the same service as a private school in terms of the Zoom thing? Why is it just one Zoom a day? It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I heard um, one of my friends said that she's got a friend who's a teacher and she said, I don't want to le- learn how to use Zoom. Like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's like, it's a, it, and that's the thing. Wow. And that's the thing. The other thing. Yeah, like a private school can employ the best teachers and get rid of them very quickly, mm. the ones that are not performing. Yeah. Because as soon as parents and, te- and students complain, they get rid yeah. of them. Public school, you can't get rid of a shit no, teacher. No, um, Well, when I so, when the school first started in their last lockdown, um, I just I actually contacted them and said, just put them into the calendar. So trying to find where their information is, like they had, like they literally mm. say, the teacher would just send a link, you know, fifteen minutes before, oh, we're going to have a Zoom session today on this time. It's like teach them how to use Gmail and and the calendars because that's what um, a lot of the schools do. Yeah, and so that's the thing. Mm. I read a really good article the other day about how um, generations now aren't using folders. And so, like, that structure and systems that, for me, makes just, you know, if you want to find something, I know where to look at it. Um, And, you know, all my – I've got folders for all my clients and, you know, information's (laughs) all there. Were you like that innately? Like, I'm curious, is it a personality thing or just like a parental thing or what – like, what's the reason why it was so structured from a young age? Uh, I think innately. I mean, I look at my brother back when we went to school. My mum was a science teacher and my dad was um, a clerk of the courts, a solicitor. Um, mm. So they valued education. But my brother, he he, um, he ended up leaving school in year 11 and uh, becoming a carpenter is now a, a builder. And uh, so I think for me, it's just it's innate. I was organised. I like being organized feeling you know if you want to find something i know where it is that's probably a little bit of ocd i suppose i, I hate having you know yeah. if i've got eight glasses and one breaks i can't have seven <laughs> it's a bit of a joke amongst my friends it's like oh shit we better break another one now <laughs> i'd rather have six even numbers yeah. only mm-hmm. balance i love the cv thing where'd you get that idea from the balance sheet cv i've never I, obviously i look at thousands of cvs i haven't i'm yet to come across one uh, like that somewhere it's very clever so so when i was at deloitte i used to do the psych tests along the way and they'd ask me what do you do here <laughs> and um so i've always been more creative then so for me uh it's like ideas you know i've always got different ideas for things um and so that was just something must have been something at university that popped up and it was i i, I kind of strongly believe that you know you you're either got to be really good at what you do and stand out for your brilliance at school mm. or you've got to be a little bit different um and it was it has worked you know i only did it for that one job but he was advertising for someone with three years experience and at that point in yeah. time i was still at uni but that stood out for him um because he he was creative where some other people would have just looked at that and thought that was stupid but at, you know at the end of the day <laughs> it, it meant that i worked with someone that i it resonated yeah, with, yeah. yeah i went and watched him in a play one time with his uh his kids school and uh he is actually his father-in-law was Max Dupain, so he was married to Max Dupain's daughter. Um, wow! And so, yeah. So I've always worked. I was thinking about that actually, just you know, in preparing that, I kind of I look at my career, and so I used to be a, a dancer and 
um, kind of chose to do my tax exam over going on a cruise. We are in a cabaret show at the time. It's <laughs> my one regret. I should have done the cruise. But uh, <laughs> and, and I still now, I think, you know, if what I wanted to do is probably still more in the sort of the film and TV and uh, I, I talk to some of the people that uh, I do the film and TV quape audits and they actually do the production accounting. I said, I think when the kids are older, I wouldn't mind doing some production accounting. And they all think I'm a bit crazy because it's, it's pretty busy and stressful, but I wouldn't mind mm. being a little bit more hands-on and some creative ideas. Or Well, you, you, I remember we were talking about, you even did your course recently as well, the screen and I think movie production course. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when can we expect to go to your premiere? <laughs> I, uh, I started writing a script at one stage. Um, I don't know. I kept hoping that I could live vicariously through my kids. They haven't been been uh, very helpful. One of the, I had this fantastic idea. It was when we were travelling in France and they tried snails and they're like frogs and things like that. And so mm. I still think this is a, if anyone wants to take this idea, they're more than welcome because my kids are not cute enough anymore. But it was uh, called Kids <laughs> Discussing 60. And so the idea was like just a YouTube channel and so that we had, you know, just a whole lot of food that, you know, whether it be snails, truffles, blue cheese. Mm -hmm. And so they had to like describe it. So use all their senses and then sort of give a bit of brief history as to why the food had come about, like what regions it had come from and then taste it. So I, I just thought that was yeah. a, a kind of a, something they could have done, but that idea didn't go anywhere. Well, I, I heard the new iPhone came out yesterday. It's got an amazing cinematic uh, mode. Okay. So that could be your, your path into before I into movie making well i uh my younger son so my older son still talks about wanting to be a director so i've got a couple of film director clients who are quite well known so they've got a lot of opportunities to you know in terms of connections my work has given me a lot of mm. uh, really interesting opportunities and you know, I, I kind of literally after this i've got a call around fbt and it's all to do with bringing people out from the us and they're here at accommodation so there's all these differences that you know they're here longer because of covid everything is quite different the like type of work can you imagine doing any other like i know you're big on having a niche and specialization yours for many years has been the film industry and i guess to some extent like the the high network yeah. family offices can you imagine doing anything else like being a typical accountant doing typical smes um, i mean every when i first started lotus accounts i had some clients that were more typical smaller businesses but mm. when i do something then to me i have to be like a an expert in it. So, you know, I, I admire someone that there's a guy that runs something called a business called the Cafe Bookkeeper. And so that to me is, again, niching and enables you to be the best in that field is how I how I feel yeah. about niching. Um, so if I'm doing something else, it's another business and I don't know it as well, I don't feel comfortable. Like I kind of feel like I could be missing out on some deductions or, mm. yeah. So, I mean, I, I would do, I have got recruitment industry clients, for example, but that to me is, I feel yep. that's similar to how I run my own business. Um, yeah, professional yeah, services. But then I would, you yeah. know, a large part of what you said, I still would want to know about the apps like JobAdder. And so I kind <laughs> of, yeah, it's like, it's not just now knowing about the tax technical and how you're accounting. It's also then how can you make that as efficient as possible? A lot of things about yep. the, about efficiencies for me as well. You must go down a lot of rabbit holes. I do. You doing? <laughs> I do. Yeah, okay. I, I find I do the same because I have like this kind of hyper curious, yeah. want to learn, want to grow kind yeah. of thing. But then it, it does affect like your efficiency yeah. as well at work. So how do you manage that? Uh, I love Twitter. Like staying focused. Have you got on Twitter? Well, I saw your Twitter. I'm not on Twitter because I don't understand the, uh, well, I look at it and it's kind of like just 
I just see politicians and celebrities just shooting snipes at each other. Um, so I never understood the, the the need for it. But I know you're very active on it. You're the Twitter account. I do like Twitter. Um, so when I I worked at Zero for a couple of years, and that was in between uh, a, a business that had a fallout and around a divorce, and and I kind of was working out what did I what kind of what did I want to be doing. And I loved Zero. I got involved with Zero probably 2010. Yep. And and for me, it was just such an amazing opportunity to upskill because you know quite often being mm. a partner in a larger firm at, at the age I was at, you know you're very you're off the tools. You haven't you know I hadn't done accounts myself for fifteen years probably. <laughs> you're reviewing and it's a little bit different. So to be able to have that opportunity to look across you know, a couple of hundred accounting firms from large. I looked after Deloitte actually when I was at Zero. So from large big firms to um, smaller regional firms and to see what people were doing. I really had a, a, a perfect opportunity to, one, help people. I really liked the idea of, of training and had a different perspective from some of the other people that were account managers at Zero because having run mm-hmm. a firm, you know different risk levels and what's important um, from a business perspective as an owner. And, and just to see and meet a lot of different people, um, I kind of went in there wanting to learn about technology and I came out just with amazing connections and I met I've got some friends now that you know one of them just turned 30 and and just so it's not you kind of found all these people that are really interested in the same kind of rabbit hole that I'm in and and so now it's a bit of a joke that I'm the tester for a lot of people with sort of software programs I break a lot of things I don't know why I've got apparently a high click rate (laughs) so What made you decide to leave Zero? Like, because I think you were like one of the top salespeople there. I loved it. Um, it just was with the kids. Um, the, the regional travel was quite hard, and then also the business yeah, was getting okay. to a point where um, Lara, my manager, was going on maternity leave. She was having her second child, and it... oh, yeah, so you had Lotus at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So I started Lotus, okay. and that was because some of the clients came across uh, when I left Logica, and. Um, and sort of some of the film and TV audit. So it kind of, I didn't want to lose that work. And just to give a bit of context to everyone, it's like you know, you've been a partner at Logica and prior to that, like the, the pre, I think Broadway yeah. for 10 plus years at that time, right? Uh, so I started Broadway accountants yeah, after I had my first son. I left Deloitte. And so that was 2005. And then we merged in 2006 and I left in 2015. Okay, so you started Broadway by yourself? Yes, or... yeah. So I started it, though, okay. with the help of one of the ex-Deloitte partners, um, mm-hmm. and they were actually in an offer share it at Broadway. So it was sort of a conveni- yep. convenient name. <laughs> we're in Broadway, and I wanted to do film and TV uh, work. Yep. And so so he gave me an office. So at that point in time, I got two job offers. Um, one was for a smaller firm, and one was for a mid-tier firm. Was that you coming back from Matt yeah, after Deloitte? Yeah. Or? I didn't want to. Okay. Well, I kind of, one of the, there were two of us that were directors. So I was on a partner development program. Then I went overseas. Yeah. Then when I came back, one of the managers who was just this beautiful woman, she was killed in a car accident before I went away. So some of my perspectives on life and work changed. And then also, unfortunately, mm-hmm. when I was living in London, um, one of our, one of the housemates that I was living with, he was traveling through Spain with a friend and the last carriage door wasn't locked. And so he fa- fell out of the train. So both of them were two, like, really? yeah, 24. Crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and so for me, some of the values I would say that I felt were at, at Deloitte, you know, it was all about what's my car and what's, what, what, you know, what school do my kids go to? And some of that status mm. doesn't matter to me. 
it really is about uh, you know friendships and traveling and experiences and to me it's like you know when I go what do I take with me I take my memories I don't take my stuff yeah. so the other opportunities um, I was sort of wanting something that was probably not as um, when I was at Deloitte I was working six days a week um, quite long hours that wasn't that time involved and then uh, I went and saw an entertainment industry lawyer who I really liked and used to work with and he suggested still just going and speaking to John um, who was the tax partner I worked at Deloitte who'd gone out on his own when I'd gone overseas mm-hmm. and so he said yep yeah, he's a I remember I rocked up with my uh, nine-month-old son had a pram and uh, he <laughs> said you know I'll give you an office and a client which was a good film industry client that we worked on together before and uh, see how you go and then I, uh, I'd also worked on an options trading job and so I ended up working in there two days a week that sort of first period and um, they were really awesome too actually when I had my son, the second son they gave me sort of almost like maternity leave even though I was sort of had my business in contracting it's yeah. really good and I still look after a few of the the original senior traders from there that have all been okay. doing different well, what were you doing there were you doing were you helping them yeah they're management accounting tax, yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah. Because cool. I was like, you didn't become an options trader just for the sake yeah, of it, just I like, you know, to learn, to learn that you know aspect. What? If I had well. to go back, I probably, I don't know whether I would have been able to be an options trader, but I definitely, at this point, I was um, on my second second marriage. But I, um, given that that ended in, in divorce, I might have uh, rethought my options. <laughs> i like that it's good it's good uh, yeah Um, these guys have just done incredibly well it's amazing what what i know i i look at them as well i was like wow i mean i have a few friends in that kind of arena as well it's phenomenal but they're all really really clever and they're lovely matt's gurus nice guys yeah um what would you have done if you weren't an accountant though Mm, i think I, I quite often talk about interior design. So my other passion is interior design, so being uh, creative. So I had a, a home that I renovated in North Bondi. was in House and Garden magazine. And so that was wow. a bit of a, a career achievement for me. So that's the when we sort of had the first lockdown, my boardroom in uh, – so we've got an office in St Peter's that it wasn't being used. And so I turned it into a shop. So it's called Lotus Home and it has Asian antiques, homewares, giftwares, and um, uh, Lotus Treasures, so it's it's got a very automated accounting system. It's the most anal inventory system you'll ever see in a small business that size. <laughs> but and you and you were actually there on the weekends, like I was still you know, working, in your yeah, little storefront. Yep. Yeah. So I was Friday and Saturday mornings, um, and then I did have. It is online, but I don't post anything because at the end of the day, Lotus Accountants is my pr- primary business, and um. I do. I'm quite mindful of. I don't want to annoy my clients, but uh, it's been it's been nice. I'm kind of a little bit more part of the community with the shop. That I've got yeah. regulars, and um, one guy knocked on the door the other day actually, and uh, his wife was. They, I've got these Frida Kahlo uh, range of cushions and different things, and so she's got a lamp, a rug, uh, ottoman, and then the other day came in. It's her birthday. And, He's, he's just so nice. He's, she saw the fish in the window, so she really wants a fish. It's like a fish vase that's a retro retro. Where vase. do you get all your stuff from? Well, a uh, bit of a mix. I've tried Alibaba. Uh, there is an Indian importer in Marrickville, so I go to them. Um, I went to a trade show actually at the start of this year, so a lot of candles. Um, I did. So it's interesting learning what sells. I think accountants mm. are very good at sort of, what's right and being technical 
but the sort of the the real I think a large part of the personality types that's been missing out of accounting industry traditionally is that sales and the selling and sometimes you, you might have got it and they're the ones that have got everyone buying emu oil and ostriches back in the day but um <laughs> uh, I, I think for me having the shop is just how important the marketing and sales like you you know if that was to really grow really well I have to put a lot more effort into the marketing. Like just having a really good back-end inventory yeah. system, it's not going to make my business successful. Having said that, you know, if it did take off, you want to have a good inventory system. You know, otherwise it would be like all those businesses at the moment that they sell you something and they say, oh, no, sorry, it's a ship still offshore. You, know, you look at some mm. of those businesses through COVID that just had no idea where their products were. Yeah, crazy. Wow, okay. So, well, by the way, what was the inspiration behind the name Lotus, Lotus account? Uh, so it was very much, I was on holiday with my kids in Hawaii and it was, uh, I sort of, I was getting home and I had to sell the house that I did have in um, house and garden and it was the idea of, I wanted a, a name that was um, kind of that, old, you know, something bad happens but then there's something good that comes out of it. Like that to me was my mindset to pursue the guy's, the business fall out legally. I didn't get paid out. To pursue that would have taken up a lot of time and energy. I was going through a divorce. Um, and so I had the idea of sort of like a butterfly, like, um, mm. but I didn't really like the names there, chrysalisis or uh, yeah. people's been done with the makeup. And uh, so Lotus was the, it had something that I'd sort of, it was into yoga at the time. And so the whole idea is no mud, no lotus. So with, you know, uh, the lotus flower, we was yeah, something okay. like and beautiful and uh, into something beautiful. So that that was the lotus theme, which now, though, moved it all away. But it's um, it's like, it's a very easy. I've just got lotus things everywhere. Um, very cool. And uh, It's kind of like a reflection of your life. You know, like you, you, you've kind of gone through a whole bunch of challenges and have always come out on top. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, that's because of mindset. I had a friend one time say to me that it um, doesn't matter what happens, you always sort of, um, you kind of make out like it's all fine. And at the time it was, it was literally after the manager at Deloitte had died and it was after her funeral. And um, and I kind of, to me, I said, well, what options do you take? Do you, you know, you let something negative impact you and then you don't move forward? Do you wallow in self-pity or do you just sort of say, okay, well, I've got an opportunity to learn from it. Um, you know, this has happened mm. for a reason. What's you know, a bit of self-reflection as well. Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing I've actually got, which is no good for a podcast, but um, I wrote a book, Planning Plan B. And yeah, for me... I was going to ask you about that later. Uh, yeah. So for me, that was also, um, you know, I, I did have sort of a lot of things happen that I wasn't expecting, you know. They weren't part of my plan. <laughs> and uh, And I got blindsided in both instances with the business and um, with my ex-husband and so it was the whole concept of you know how can I use my experiences to help somebody else so that if it did happen to them they don't you know have that same level of um, you know stress stress yeah so it was designed to sort of help with the legal and financial side of planning so that if it did happen you can focus on the emotional upheaval that you go through because, you know, mm. trying to work out, you know, what kind of lawyer. And I mean, at one stage I was on contact with the, the you know, the conveyancing lawyers, the business commercial lawyer, the divorce, you know, divorce lawyer. And then obviously you're sort of looking wow. at um, estate planning a little bit around that as well. So it was, uh, 
and I guess for context, I think uh, for the listeners, like yeah, we had you had a fallout with the partner, so we had to we basically asked to leave the partnership. That's right. Yeah. Um, you were divorcing your husband yes. a few weeks later, and then selling your house as a, as I think a as a result yeah. of that as well. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's a, there was a lot going on in a very short span of yes, time. Yeah. Um, so what what's the essence of the book like what what's the what are the takeaways like if you had to summarize so it's really it's how to plan for 10 of life's unexpected stressful events so it is what you can put in place and that can be an estate plan so obviously it's you know, if you die it's not stressful for you but it's stressful for your family members yeah. um it's around uh dissolution of a business so what can you put in place to protect dissolution of a business we didn't have a signed unit holder agreement so we had a, a trust structure which um then made it you know you don't have any kind of legal fallback which you know, you hear it all the time um and we're a bit silly probably not having anything signed but it's uh to pursue a trust structure fallout is very expensive legally it's a little bit different than just a, a traditional company um it also has um so it, so what would be an ideal structure for an accounting firm oh <laughs> I don't think there's a a one-size-fits-all. I've certainly gone this time with um, just that stereotypical uh, trading company owned by a family trust. And I did that because I still at some point, you know, in having like an employee share plan. So you can't, things like that with a unit trust were a little bit bit trickier. Um, And we had a discretionary income unit. So that was sort of the, if we'd got rid of that when we stopped having differential salaries amongst the four of us, then it would have been mm-hmm. a different matter. But because we had that income discretionary unit, it meant that they could just divert the, the trust's income away from me without any kind of real repercussions. Um, mm-hmm. And so the capital units, it's arguable as to what, what value that might be. So they think they're five, $6 million firms, not worth anything. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it has... Okay. Um, so estate planning... It's like insurance. So what kind stuff, of insurance yeah. might you need... Um, so divorce or a permanent separation, it does talk about, you know, should you be getting a, a prenuptial agreement in place? Um, and the, I've got also different um, experts in the field. So I do have um, insurance brokers um, and also I didn't have an estate planning lawyer, but I do have divorce lawyers and um, also, say, for example, disaster occurring while travelling. So, you know... Mm what kind of insurance might you have? And that was unfortunately my uh, boss that used to work for me at Deloitte, or I used to work for at Deloitte. He now works with me in in my business and uh, his daughter was killed uh, again at age 24 on a um, a moped in Thailand. She had, They were turning mm, into a dangerous. Yeah, their hotel and someone hit the back of them. Um, and so, again, it was, you know, it, it, it talks about the story that they've had and then it's an insurance broker what kind you know what can you protect yourself for because you know people these days that are relying on gofundme you know something happens and you have a look at sites like that for crowdfunding it's it's a last resort but then you know that's not how you want to be be coping with um you know getting bodies back to australia and it was pretty difficult i mean most people will have travel insurance I guess a lot of younger people don't Great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've always made sure I had it, either yeah. through a credit card or you know purchased. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think my dad is kind of like more risk averse, so I've kind of always you know 
was trained to look at the fine print of things and yeah. uh, the risk factors and then how to how to mitigate them. Yeah. Okay. Was there anything else? Any other takeaways? Uh, it really when I went to go, so I've um, self-published it, and when I went to have a publisher, their their kind of view was that there's too many topics in the book. But the idea is mm. that it's like pre-planning. So it's the central topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, if you literally had everything of this, you know, you'd thought about it in the book and something happened, even with COVID, like it, literally any event that happened with COVID, loss of job, it's covered, loss of business, it's covered, um, travel mm. plans cancelled, it's covered, um, you know, people are actually dying of COVID, wills, it's covered. So everything that's actually could potentially happen and people yeah. don't like to plan, people don't like to think about it. Um, no, they don't. Like even prenups is always a very controversial topic yeah. for couples. And so prenups uh, actually, or... yeah, they're not, um, you know, it's very hard to legally uphold a prenup because by their very virtue is um, there's somebody that's at a disadvantage in the person that's normally signing. So um, so the law firm that talked in there, um, um, Linda. So what do you advise couples to do then? Uh, if people still think that it's going to protect them. Um, mm. But I, I think personally the idea of having those discussions that a, a prenup might do um, around what might happen if that, you know, if our relationship breaks down, what's involved. So I, uh, some of the divorces I've seen with clients is um, where they've ended up really ugly and really nasty is um, there's a perception that there's more wealth than there is and you must be hiding something. Mm. So I think having everything, you know, be quite open and transparent going in can help if there is a on an exit on the way out. Um, yeah. And it's just no one wants to talk about it. That's the thing. No, no one wants to talk about. Because everyone wants to think like, you know, they have the best, yep. uh, best relationship in the world. Yeah. Um, and um, so my, my big one there is actually just um, how important my career was in having the breakup. Like, um, you know, the fact that I could still, you know, losing a business and a divorce, like I got smashed and it was my career and my, networks and my contacts and I literally my second boss Robert Rockland I rang him after because I knew he'd had a falling out with the business partners that Southerton split and I rang yep. him and he said just come here and I went I was in tears and he said you can have an office so I was you know, <laughs> kind of got myself sorted and he was amazing and so it's just you know and again you know it's interesting actually so here's my second boss and now my third boss is uh, he was fantastic. And when he left Deloitte, he brought some clients that he had long-term relationships with uh, into Lotus Accountants. And so now, again, I think my biggest you know, is don't burn your bridges. Those networks and connections that you make, you never know where. How do you maintain them? Um, I just check in with people, lunches. Um, do you have a spreadsheet and assistant no, for that? No, I don't. Well? I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I did at one stage think about just um, you know, making sure that you really contact people regularly but um uh i think because sometimes social media you some people slip through the cracks because they might not be on it um mm. uh, but a, a really good friend in the uk who she's not on facebook for example but every now and then i'll send her a direct message um yeah no i've got more and more friends that are kind of like off facebook yeah. and off social media yeah. As they get older, they're like, okay, I don't need to be on this. Yeah. <laughs> I've got other things in my life going yeah. on. Yeah. Like, once they have families. And stuff. Well, it's tricky too because what you sometimes put on Facebook might not necessarily be everything that's going on as well. So people presume that, okay, well, you must be okay. Where there's sometimes, you know, I've got friends that are ICU nurses down in Melbourne, for example. 
Yeah. Where she sort of, when we went into lockdown this time, she sort of rang me and said, oh, you're one of the few people to check in how we're going. And so it's just, my dad was very good at checking in on his family. He was the youngest of uh, seven. Mm. And my dad died of cancer, actually, right when we started Logica. Um, so I suppose another kind of perspective in the in the book um, of, you know, he was 18 months. He was diagnosed. He had nine months to live and then he uh, lived for 18 months. So he was only 59. And so he, though, when he was alive, was just really, really good at keeping in touch with his family. So he'd moved to Sydney. All the rest of the family remained in Dubbo when he was younger. And, um, mm-hmm. and he just would check in. They'd do, you know. Back in the day, people would write their annual Christmas letters, post them yeah. out, um, which I think was it. A... Yeah, it's amazing. I think my grandfather was the same. Like, he was really, he had this little, like, black book of contacts oh, yeah. and he would, like, go through it and, you know, make sure once in a while he would always contact everyone, call them, yeah. write a letter to them. Um, yeah, and he had friends all over the world, like, because he just maintained contact. So yeah. whenever I traveled somewhere, he's like, oh, we've got family there. I'm like, what? <laughs> we've got family there? Yeah, yeah, I've got this relative. I've got this friend. It's like, they'll look after you. And, Quite often when I like travel to the US, for example, it didn't matter where I went. He had a friend or a relative somewhere that would take me in and pick me up from the airport. People that I've never even heard of in my life. They're like, oh, yeah, we knew your grandfather from, you know, 50 years ago. Something like that. And that's purely because he just maintained that contact. I was like, wow. Um, And that was, you know, old school, Mm. right? Like writing letters. Whereas now we're so connected and we still struggle. Like I'm not good at it at all. I try, but. Well, what's interesting too, I mean, when I was younger, and dad would sort of say, and especially like family in Dubbo, that um, I always felt awkward because I didn't know them. And then now you're older, you've got that um, experience, I suppose, that, you know, my, any of my friend's kids, if they ever come to me and said they wanted to come and stay, I'd always have them stay because you are you have seen them grow up and you've got this vested interest yeah. in with their children. They don't care. They just get yeah, mum and dad's old friend. <laughs> it's, um, it's very different. 100%. But, yeah. Yeah, okay. So what would you be doing if you weren't an accountant? Interior like, designer. Tomorrow the... Yeah. So, yeah? Um, 100%? Well, I'd like to be an, an interior designer where I didn't have clients. I just could do what I want. Is that a job? Can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> it is once you're retired. <laughs> I, uh, I think the, the concept of... Um, uh, so I like buying things. We've recently just done up our backyard and, and trying to... We use recycled bricks, so trying to also um, create little things, things that are a little bit different and recycling. So I've got this mm. old door, for example, um, and recycled bricks and uh, the, even the model. Do you know what I, you know I learned recently? Sorry to interrupt. Yep. Um, I went to my parents' place um, ages ago and then I remember I was talking to my dad about like carpets. We was looking at a house. It's like they have this beautiful carpet. And it's called the Mohawk carpet. It's like a high pile one, but it's made out of recycled plastic bottles. I'm like, carpet can be made out of recycled plastic bottles. That's phenomenal. It is good. And it's a beautiful carpet. I yeah, love that carpet. Like I, I literally have slept on yeah, it. Yeah, it's nice. It's so comfy. I saw one that was um, made out of um, uh, fishing lines, fishing, you know, like the old nets. Yeah, a, yeah, okay. But it wasn't, wouldn't have been that comfortable. It was more for um, industrial office fit outs. Yeah. I thought that was quite clever. Yeah. Mm. I've, I've got another idea recently actually which um is called workhome.live and i kind of workhome.live okay and um is it i want a startup app all my friends have got these amazing startup technology apps i want one <laughs> don't know how i'm gonna get one but 
that's uh that's my latest idea and uh and uh, what i really would like is you know just when you have you go into your phone and you've got all the apps there but you don't have that on the website so you have like say maybe okta if you're in a bigger firm and the apps are there but like just and you might have <laughs> this is an organized thing oh my gosh maybe i am a freak um it, like on my google um i've got all the folders and you know bookmarked and things lotus accountants lotus home i'm looking at the top of them yeah. um clients personal etc that it's more just like a a website that you can go in and then there's also some topics around each of them so work at the moment you know how, how can you ensure that your home office setup is appropriately set up i.e yeah i don't think most employers wouldn't know whether they've got safe environments and there was that um workers compensation case where one of the a woman was murdered by her husband and um, workers comp ended up being paid out because they were saying it wasn't a safe environment so i think there's wow. some things there yeah. that and uh, and live would be the the travel and all the fun fun stuff but yeah i don't know i don't know what i'd be if i wasn't an accountant i wouldn't be a dancer anymore have you got another book coming up or i i am writing another book with a friend and it's called co-parenting with an alien <laughs> and so that one is using some of the experiences that probably have had with my now husband's partner um uh, ex-wife rather um and, and and then just the friend who's writing it she's a child psychologist a clinical psychologist and we just I'm in a few Facebook groups and it's actually it's I think you know to lose a child and through way of an accident and the grief process is really hard but to lose a child and that child is you know there's no real valid reason why they don't love you, they don't see you. They've just been convinced that you're not a nice person or however it works by the other parent. So there's been studies mm. where, um, you know, even children of quite horrific um, upbringings, you know, might have a parent that goes to jail, they will still love that parent. So the only times where there's really been a child won't love a parent is when the other parents manage to be able to alienate them and to me it's kind of like a cult the way that the the way that they a person will do that and quite often they're they've got their own personality um disorders narcissism being a large one but um this is your experience with your current husband's blended family yeah and it's hard it's hard on the kids so he doesn't see his oldest daughter but we see the younger one Mm. um and it's so now actually, which unfortunately, so Pauline Hansen, that's actually been one of the large drivers behind the changes in the family court. So parental rejection is now actually um, legally seen to be a level of emotional abuse. So in all the forms, if you want to report it, um, parental rejection does come up. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, imagine, you know, you have your child, everything goes really well, and then you know, your spouse. No, I've heard or, about yeah. it. Yeah, like ugly divorces, yeah. people yeah. like and, the and they use the child vengeful. as the weapon. They go, yep. Um, yeah. And it's horrible. Which is yeah. immature parenting and immature kind of, yeah, uh, selfish, I guess, tendencies of human nature. Yeah. Okay. So that's the next, when is that coming out? Well, um, we're probably a third of the way through. Um, so we're actually getting together this Friday to write a bit more. So we've got the structure and some of the topics, but we kind of wanted to make it, so there's not really too much in Australia. Um, there's some really mm. good psychologists in the US in particular um, and trying again to make it practical. So the whole idea with planning plan B is it's practical. At the end of it, you know, if you actually make the checklist and put it all together, you'd have 
have a plan B. Um, and this would be, again, it's um, there are some good books out there, one's called Divorce Poison, and it's like how do you cope? So some people, you know, a large instance of uh, particularly male suicide um, is because they don't see their children anymore and they just, it's, again, that rejection that you see, you know, you've got a child, how can they not love you? And when you can't change that and you can't do that, um, so the idea would be, you know, is there any way that you can change it? Is there any way that you can hmm. stop it? And unfortunately, it is. It's really hard to to change. And some people say, yeah, you know, no, take, can imagine. yeah, a child's lifetime, but yeah, difficult. Yeah, especially the court systems where everything takes so long to get through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you have a lot of theatrics, and it's very easy to mm. basically put on a nice TV show and have a really good lawyer, yeah. etc. Not a huge fan um, of either estate planning lawyers or divorce lawyers, to be honest. Um, but you recommend both of them in your book, though. Uh, you need them. You need them. There are some that you know. Again, the lawyer that's in the the book for um, divorce, they don't recommend. They don't do prenups. They're just like, well, it's you can't hold up in court, so we're not going to do it. We're not going to take our clients' money. So what, so what do you do then as a couple? Do you just have a conversation and document it between the two of you, or uh, what's the what's the best way to go about it? Because business partnerships are easy. Like you, you have a a document like a shareholders agreement, a partnership agreement, which you can talk about how dissolution will work out if there's a yeah, so, disagreement. Yeah. Um, in all, you know, whether it be a business breakup, whether it be a personal relationship or a estate plan and you've got children fighting over it, it's always if there's money and then there's hmm. people involved. And I think the the idea of, you know, for a divorce, sitting down, it's a little bit tricky. So, you know, you make a decision as a couple when you have kids, if you are financially able as to a one person might stop work to raise the children. And then yep. that's all fine. But then if it, the relationship breaks up, that person that hasn't been working, they're in a, a situation, they're in a position of fear. They're like, well, mm. I can't look after myself. You've now been able to get this money. So then you straight away start with a, a, an area of conflict and the one, so yep. one person will have more power in regards to the money situation and one parent, person will have more power in regards to the relationship with the child. And so as yep. soon as you've got that disparity, you're going to have some sort of conflict unless, you know, we do talk about like um, collaborative law and, um, and how that will work. But, you know, my personal view, I've been divorced twice, both times, um, taken into account my dad did give me some money when um, he died so I took that out and then I did all our legal work ourselves. I actually lodged everything. And even though, you know, I could have been really angry, he's still with his work colleague that he left before that just had a kid. I could have been really angry and bitter and revengeful, but who was that going to help? It wasn't going to help me move forward. It wasn't it certainly wasn't going to help my two boys. And so I just, to me, sometimes when you're really hurting, you just fake it till you make it anyway. So it could be polite. Yeah, then, but that, that's an emotional thing, but there's no... There's, but that's just it. There isn't anything that's... So if you can't have a prenup that goes legally, I would say... And then emotions take over, etc. Like no matter what agreement you have, as you said, emotions take yeah. over in the end. And then I think... If you don't have the maturity yeah. to, to see the big picture, then it, it goes all goes out the yeah. way. Yeah, so I think being upfront and open about what financial assets you have, um, hmm. sitting down probably with an accountant rather than a lawyer and working out, okay, well, how would this work? What could we do? And the other bit would be, you know, when you're fighting over the kids, again, it's, um, it's you know, a, a psychologist is more likely to be involved in benefit than, again, a lawyer. So to me, you know, yeah. if you're fighting over kids and money, 
is a lawyer the best person to be helping you? I don't think so. Probably not. Yeah. Okay. And so if you actually changed it to, so I think technology is going to be a really good idea. So a large part of the book as well is um, there's an app that um, the government's starting to use. And so it is, you put all your assets in, it's, you know, um, it's proven as to bank balances and it's um, set up and then you go through and you sort of split it online. And then, you know, when you get to a point where artificial intelligence, you know, if it's only looking at case law, for example, and here it is, and go, well, if you go to court, you might lose, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars and you're going to end up with this mm. amount or you're going to can do this now and this is what you get. Like, so the percentages, if you can have that technology where the AI is involved, and again, for estate planning as well, I think law is a, an area that has so much, is ripe for disruption. Um, yeah, okay. And, and Interesting. Yeah, because it's just, it's, case law is, it's all there. It's finding that information. So if the technology can pull that up based on similar set, sets of facts and finding relevant cases. Hmm. Okay, let's go back to accounting. Okay, <laughs> so you, work, you worked in small, mid-tier and big four firms. Like, what do you consider the major differences and what would you advise sort of younger accountants to do or consider when they're making that decision? I would really think about what it is they're wanting to do, what they're passionate about and the interests that they have and then actually pursue, you know, who is an expert in that field that you want to be in and try and get to work with them. Because, you know, so many people, if you have you know, the number of staff I've had over the years. And if someone's passionate and wants to help and wants to learn, they're just a pleasure to work with because they always go, you know, a bit above and beyond. They're interested. Um, and then mm. that's how you learn as well. So for me, you know, I deliberately worked with partners that had a entertainment industry bent. And uh, and when I went and worked with a tax partner at um who was at Deloitte at the time, you know, there were opportunities that came up that were really inconvenient sometimes and I just did it anyway because that's what I wanted to do. So it's, again, if an opportunity comes up in an area that you want to be involved in, you make it work. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that for me is a a massive part of why I think I've had the success I've had in, in my career and the opportunities I've got is because I've made it clear I want to be, you know, tax partner doesn't normally work with another group. So you know, I've spoken to him and said, I'm really interested in this. If you've got something I can do, you know, happy to help. So they have it in mm-hmm. their mind that, you know, well, hang on, this has come up as an opportunity. So, you know, if you're wanting to get into mergers and acquisitions, for example, um, but you haven't got in, you know, first opportunity that you have, I would still just be, um, you know, seeing who who are the biggest operators in M&A, you know, sending them in, I would. I'd send them a CV to the people that you know you're, you're wanting to work with, or because you know to pick up any kind of specialization or anything that you want to be doing, the best way to do it is to learn from someone that's already the expert. Hmm. I find most young accountants have no idea though. That, that's the issue. They're like, well, how am I meant to know what area of accounting, whether I should work in a mid-tier or big four, which one's better, you know, which specialization I should choose. Is that like they have no idea yeah. because they've never done it. And it's hard. It's you know who you work for just pay plays such an important part of your career. You know everyone's worked with people that they don't like, mm. and you know that's it's miserable. Do you give different advice to females than males when it comes to the industry? I haven't, and I mean when I was working at Deloitte in particular, counselling out people was you know a, a big part of the job that I had if they weren't working. And I look at where every single one of those person, people have ended up, they're, you know, they're doing way better than they would have done had they stayed in accounting. Like it, it, some of them are recruitment consultants. 
some of them are lecturers in universities and mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly an organization's culture for you know want of a better word is is still a way of conformity it wants people to act in a certain manner and uh, and that's yeah. because you know it produces it's less risky because if you know how people are going to behave then you know you're not going to have have to be troubleshooting different things but that group think as well I don't think is good for organizations one of the organizations I really respect is Atlassian and certainly yep. from what I've seen is you know they encourage diversity in thought and and how you do that in those big four firms it, it doesn't happen they they want people to be like them well can I ask you counseling out people out of Deloitte what was the major reason that you found um People didn't work uh, out. Performance. So you, in bigger firms or all firms, you know, um, you have a certain budget and, and so if you've got people continually taking too long or making mistakes and having to fix things, it, it just... Why are those people like that though? Um, like why can't they just get it right? Why? Is it an aptitude thing, an attitude thing? Is it uh, laziness thing? Like what did you find was the crux behind it's it? It's funny because they're all smart people. Yeah, because I got into Deloitte. Yeah. Like, there's a standard. There's, I wouldn't even say sometimes it was politics because it, it, it sort of wasn't. It was, I don't know, it was just timing. Like, I mean, I look at sort of my older son, if I put him in there, he just takes his own time. Like, he just doesn't care. It would be, I'm trying to think of, you know, you always have a few different people in mind. It, it always would come down to the quality of the work. Why couldn't they do it? I don't know, maybe they weren't interested. Sometimes people don't get things like I know, you know, I've been in accounting for such a long period of time, but my manager, she just picks up things. Like I'll be looking at something and she just thinks differently. So sometimes the accounting mm. concepts and level of information is different on a detail level. But having said that on a higher, you know, business end, like, uh, you know, that's why we work so well together. I will understand all that. So, uh it, it, you know. Back to the whole passion thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Some people, yeah, don't have the passion for the industry yeah. and that translates into the yeah. work, yeah. I mean, there was one person that I had to uh, move on when we were in Logica and, and he was falling asleep at his desk. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> well, I, I guess I want to ask you, from a female perspective, and you've kind of gone through where you were a director, how do you see like a female managing the whole mat leave thing having children and being a partner at the same time where there's obviously you know client responsibilities and clients are attached to you as the partner how does how do females manage that aspect of their careers so the first time i am um, so i went on maternity leave and i was at deloitte and i just all my clients were handed over to a it was sort of my assistant manager at the time and so you know it's very hard in that instance because you just you, you are removed um, from everything, and then sometimes that's easy to be replaced. So that's quite a harder. If you step away fully and you're on maternity mm. leave, then you know you open yourself up to be to be replaced because you have to be replaced because you're not there. And so that's you know whether that's right or wrong, that's the reality. Where if it's your own business, you never fully step away. So therefore, it's less likely to to be that you are replaced because you're still there in some some shape or manner so when I had my second son I was in the office with him you know um the first week we had sort of a, a meeting we had one of the original other partners was creating problems and uh and then I just was in one day a week so I still would you know technologies obviously makes things easier but mm. it, do you still get paid as would your salary and distributions be provided as well 
do you know, we still... As a partner? When, when that partnership worked, it was really good. And so the guys, that point in time, I think I reduced my salary. So we all took a, a salary at the time that was a little bit different initially at the start. We had two senior partners and myself and another, another guy who were on a lower salary. So I think that stopped, but then I still got profit distribution because largely the salaries kind of took up the bulk of the profit and then it was over. Yeah. And like I said, I actually had um, the company that I'd been, the options trading company that I've been working at, they paid me like a maternity leave amount mm-hmm. directly, which the guys didn't make me put into the partnership I actually got that but do you see a female being able to step away completely like you know like if you're an employee say uh, at a large corporation or even a and you just at a manager level you can kind of step away for 12 months and not even think about your clients or anything could you do that as a partner no I didn't um even if like say for example um when I stepped into zero so I still took you know just under two years where I worked full-time at zero I would work, Lotus Accountant still would be in the evenings and Saturday. So I worked all day Saturdays. Yeah, because it was like your side hustle basically. Yeah, well, it was. While you grew your client base. Yeah, it was while I grew the client base, how did I want it to operate? And then I also had Lara step back in. So my manager got caught, um, caught up in the fallout of Logica. Um, and so she was actually going on maternity leave two weeks before, oh, two weeks after actually I left Logica. Um, and so this was her second child. So she was able to take a full break, um, even in a smaller firm. But for me, I don't know. I just don't think you can personally. If it's your business, it's mm. you know, if you want it to still be operating, because it is your business, yeah. even if you're a Deloitte right, and you're a partner, it's still your business, really. Yeah. Well, I think as a partner, a little bit different because you can have. I mean, that's part of why you go into partnerships. So you go away, and you someone else can step in and look after your clients or, yeah. you, had, you know, had a bigger team to step in and look after while I was away. But you were still, you still had some oversight and involvement though. I did, yeah. I would imagine, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and look, I, I think from, you know, from another, you know, I was in partnership with three other males, you know, had I just stepped away and, and come back, I can't imagine they would have been um, overly keen with that. But having said that, you know, I did, I did have a fair break. But again, technology is... Is such that you can you can be working odd out you know different hours and when the yeah. when the children are, you know especially babies when they're young I used to go in and he'd just be in a baby Bjorn I just used to carry him around for a while and then I end up <laughs> I, I think a lot of people too if you um, make that decision to keep working you end up you know with a nanny or you know your childcare arrangements through that period are a little bit difficult but having said that I just well, through the split and the business split I am so thankful I kept working through that I really am. I am um, just having my career and my my friends that were for me professionally. It just was separate from everything else. That um, it, it just was enormously helpful. Yeah. Okay. If you had to look at it, what what's the key to succeeding in this industry? I think it's. In do I think it's changing? I think traditionally it was. I always go to mid tier thinking and mid tier firms. So being good at a, an, an area of expertise is definitely one area that's going to be uh, enable you to do really well I mean I think of Mm -hmm. some of the tax lawyers that you know I would still use and go to it's because they're experts in an area of whether it be land tax or GST or um, so I do think expertise level technically I think for me I I do think technology is enabling us to change the type personality types that come through so you know I, I look at the group of people that I talk to on Twitter and social media and friends and everybody 
is a lot more, you know, gregarious. So that personality types, if you, you know, are they more introvert or extrovert? I think traditionally accountants are seen mm. to be more introverted. I think an extrovert now, if you can explain the story of the numbers rather than just what the numbers mean, yep. that that really makes a big difference. So to be good technically, like I literally found yesterday a book that had, you know, how to do a set of books to trial balance stage. And, you know, so people sometimes the technology, you lose the debit credit side of things, which I think is still mm. really important, those foundations of accounting. Yep. And, you know, Googling tax rather than going back to the legislation. So remembering sometimes that what we are doing is compliance. It is in their field that it's it's legislation, making sure that you go back to basics of, you know, reading the tax legislation, um, looking at accounting standards. What was it like to go back on the tools after such a long time? Uh, scary. Because <laughs> you scary. When, when you started, like as you said before, you were doing you didn't have anyone, right? Like you were doing all the work by yourself. I after... was. Doing your daytime work at zero, you kind of came home and had to do all the compliance stuff. Well, that's what um, the last part of why I ended up working at zero was because I couldn't work out in the reporting templates how they do the equity reporting, and it was just showing my head in because it wasn't logical. You sort of got to treat it as a, a non-current uh, liability, and and so some of the things that in the technology side of it are not you know your old style of doing things. So, for example, where we a, a traditional accountant would do journal entries, and mm. a bookkeeper used to like bookkeepers use accounting technology better than traditional accounts. They they just they it's because um, they're doing a day in day. They're out. doing yeah. a day in day out, but they don't have that mindset that we traditionally had. Was you know if you want to change something, you do a journal entry. So you know if you want to piss off a bookkeeper in zero you muck around a journal entry and you don't fix up the GST and then their GST wrecks out. And an accountant's most often, this is where Lara and I are always different, I can't get my head around the GST wrecks in zero. It's it's really, it's random. Um, but they can check things and do things. Like a beautiful file, a zero file that's been done by a good bookkeeper and a good accountant, you don't do manual journal entries. Like they just, they don't, you don't need them. Mm. Very rare. Uh, where and it'll be a sense of a source of truth. So they'll have every single invoice attached into your, your file. So whereas when I'd look at a file before, you know, you'd, ha- you'd have a big paper file and you'd go through everything and you'd cross check. Yep. Now I'm just in a zero file. I can check. You know, you know how to drill down. You know to get the information. Where when I was working in the shared office space, one of the partners there came in and said, um, "How do I get someone to?" invite me into a file I said well they just go into this section add you in and next minute he came in and he said oh they've sent me their email and their password and it's just uh, there's a, you know to, to think of if a partner this is my view now if a partner if any accounting firm doesn't know how to find their way around a zero file or a Maya file or any online accounting software file then they can't be sure that things are, are right because hmm. it's inefficient. It's inefficient to be looking at someone else's, you know, printed work paper. You know, if you can't check the assurance dashboard in a zero file or, or, or just see that things have changed, then correct things that have been added, it, it's just not an efficient process. So, oh, Was it hard to transition, like, to being on the tools again? Yeah, it was. A lot of my friends said, can't you just watch some videos? Why do you have to go and work there? <laughs> but, for, but for me, it was... Um, it's a different. It's just a different mindset of how we we're used to doing accounting. Hmm. So, 
Well, what's your tech stack now in your? Because I mean, your 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 business now, like for context, is kind of more of a lifestyle yeah. business where you not you don't have like crazy ambitions to grow it. You've got a couple of people, you know, that you know from your network that work for you and help you out. You've got four or five staff, I think. I've got um, so someone who does the or contractors, yeah, a couple contractors, contractors and two way. employees. Yeah, and then so at the moment. Hmm, I suppose to me the term lifestyle has sort of sometimes a negative connotation. Like, is it oh, is it like a a female version of you know? Oh, she's doing that like it's a hobby. It's like you know, you got a rich husband and you can go and open a shop. Mm. Uh, so I'd probably describe it more as it's a business by design. It's how I want my business to be at yeah. the moment. Because you don't advertise or like you've never really done much marketing. No, I've actually never done any marketing of, uh, since we've opened. It's up. always just been referrals. Yeah. Yeah. And I, every now and then I go and do a whole, I'm not taking on any more clients. I would take on Hugh Jackman. I say that all the time. Yeah. I will take on Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Putting that out there. <laughs> Hugh, are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> Who does his accounting I now? No, no one's owned up. I've, I have sort of inquired, but um, yeah, <laughs> I'm still working on that one. Um, so they're, they're... Yeah, and it's still growing. Like I, I know you, you've told me your numbers. I'm like, it's still increased dramatically over the years just through referrals well so of everyone that i've i've ever met brett kelly is one person that i think has done an incredible job at, at building a very successful accounting practice and obviously even enlisting that and so every now and then there's that competitive part of me that goes yeah i want to build a business like that and then i get like, sidetracked by another idea and i don't know it's you know that's a full commitment isn't it it's 100 percent. this is what you're doing mm. where i can be a little bit scattered in my interests there's a really good book that one of my friends gave me it's called essentialism i think yeah so you i heard you recommend that it was really good and a key person of influence um yeah so those two books are good to read together guys so what what what, what's your tech stack okay so i believe you know how big's your tech stack is a bit like look at my flashy car so it's making the most out of software that most people have so it's office 365 in Office 365, mm-hmm. I use Teams. Um, I use the there's a workflow section that we've created, and I kind of I've been to a few of the Microsoft Ignite conferences when they were running, and just really tried to make sure that the software that I've got in there, like say Bookings, for example, rather than Calendly, so just tried to use as much as I've got in there, um, and it's really good for security mm-hmm. and things like that as well. Zero um, clearly, so zero I use zero work papers, zero practice manager. And then, so XPM. yeah, mm-hmm. and then I've got, if I click up here, I've got join, J-O-I-I-N. Um, I use that for one of my larger clients and that's more just a, um, a consolidation tool. I use now infinity. Okay. I use class. Do you use like carbon or practice ignition? Or no, I don't. Um, a little bit of that is I'm quite, because I've got a lot of clients that if any of my information did get out, they are people that are, are well-known in Australia. So I'm a little bit sensitive around my data. Yeah. So I try and keep it within large uh, listed companies. Um, mm-hmm. And that's largely because, I mean, I know, so when I worked at Zero, you don't see files, but you would see um, a practice and you'd see the names. And so for me and the type of clients, and because you know, you've been around an industry a while and you see like trusts or companies, you can kind of get a get bit of a feel for what businesses do. And so for me, even mm-hmm. just some of them, say, for example, practice ignition, well, I don't know, I don't, you know, I know the people that operate it and they're all really great, but it's still a privately owned 
business and I don't know whether do they see, you know, because that's your engagement letters, right? That's all your client yep. information going out. It's your, your fees, mm-hmm. who, who that, that level of detail is. So you, do you do it manually then right I now? I use it XPM. So in Practice Manager, XPM, okay. um, you can set up quotes and you which you quote through yep. engagement letters. So I've, again, that whole automation there. Um, I use GoCardless, B2B Pay. B2P Pay is, is actually where my husband works. So just giving that. um uh and so it's again just a payment services um, company what's your end goal or ambition like what what else is on your bucket list or must achieve you know i used to want to be treasurer of australia and uh (laughs) the biggest problem i've had there is i've never really liked either political party i've jumped around a bit um so hmm, i think i would like the idea of is that because you wanted to change the the tax system? <laughs> I, would, do I, I do actually. Oh my gosh, um, the OECD of sort of bringing out a lot, lots of different changes and and some of you know the people that I really admire, like Graham Cooper or there's like people that have been just incredible tax minds. Like I, I was really lucky when I worked at Deloitte, and you get to work with people that are really good at what you do. So mm. I really I love being around people that are experts in their field. And I'm really lucky, I think, working at Zero, I got to meet a lot of people that were either within Zero themselves. Like I think as an organisation, it's, you know, particularly when I was there, some really amazing people that are very um, passionate about improving the accounting industry and small business. And for with the OECD and changes to tax law, I just think we're living in a, a, a period where with global taxes the way that they are, and the changing in developing countries, you know, we've got climate change, you know, how do you address all that? Is it through its taxation? You've got, mm. you know, movement of people, you know, obviously COVID borders uh, withstanding that how do you tax companies like Google or Facebook and, you know, make it a more of a, 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 an equalisation across, you know, the end users? Yep. I just think there's so much there that could change and be improved. And, uh, and, you know, and we just sort of, uh, I think um, you look at some of the, you know, traditional monarchies and when they get overthrown that, you know, if capitalism keeps going the way it is and you get so many people that are, you know, so wealthy and, and people that are uh, are not, then you, you're going to have that same sort of problem, I think. A revolution yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you look at... Well, I, I never understood in Australia why we don't have inheritance taxes. I think that irks me the most. I do think that's something that, it's got to be on the table. Like really irks yeah. me. I don't understand why. Yeah. Well, we're talking about um, um, a couple of trillion dollars in wealth transfer over the next. Well, especially of just like that... correct, especially now with just crazy property prices, yep. etc. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me at all. Uh, but I'm very big on a meritocracy. Like I'm huge. I think every single person should start on a level playing mm. field. Not like you get old money and then you get different opportunities. But that's just personal belief system. Like I would not. Uh, I don't intend to like, for example, give anything to my children. Yeah. Know? just doesn't make sense yeah. to me but i come from a migrant mentality so um there's a really good um it's like a clip where they talk about there's like a starting line and they have all these kids at the start and then they say like if you know if you're born into you know a white family move forward five and mm. you know it goes through and then it's like you know if your parents are still together and and so and then it's sort of okay okay yep. now start the race and it's just this really <laughs> good uh, you know you, you don't sometimes appreciate that you know you have a particular bring up in, what's it called uh, i've forgotten the name i'll find it for you but um yeah it, okay, uh, cool. it, then there's another one about equality and equity too where it's two people standing up on uh, some bricks as to whether they can see across 
So, you know, if you gave them the equal size bricks, one still might not be able to see over a fence, where if you give one a bigger brick, then you can all see. There's um, mm. so sometimes views like that, I think, are going to become... Yeah, it's a topic for another it day. Is, yeah. It is, <laughs> um, Look, I know we're wrapping up bit conscious of time, so I'll ask you some quick fire questions. What's your favourite quote? <laughs> Just do it. Nike stole it. <laughs> <laughs> Nike stole it. <laughs> What's had the biggest impact on you? Like either personal book, mentor, what, what, what have you learned recently has had the most impact on you? The most impact would probably be, I think, traveling. Um, so it's just seeing different cultures and different ways of living and, and traveling through countries, um, sort of like India, Pakistan, so through South America and, and just so having an appreciation for what we have here every day, having clean running water, you know, mm. that's amazing. And we take I it know, for pretty special. Yep. Electricity is incredible. Yep. <laughs> um, well, speaking of travel then, what's, what's your must visit country? Spain, I suppose people. what came to mind. I love Spain. That's your favorite? Yeah. I mean, I've got lots of favorites, mm-hmm. but it's just, this is so different and the people are so friendly and the food's beautiful, wine's good. It's yeah, it's, I do like Spain. So if you could only go back to one country, that would be it? Yes. Yeah, probably would be. Yeah, yeah okay. Having said that, I'm you planning a... on Italy next year. So Italy's probably number two. Okay. Have you? Is there a country that you haven't been to but like really, really want to go to? Uh, Egypt and Iceland. Yeah. Yeah, Iceland's mm. amazing. Highly recommend it. What's something most people don't know about you? Well, everyone knows that I've got OCD with glasses now. Um, that was a secret. Uh, what else? <laughs> I don't know, actually. Um, I think people think I'm probably more organised than I am and more set in my ways where I'm quite open to If someone else comes along and wants to plan something, and I think that's a great I'd like to – yep, that's awesome. Where I'm not, I'm not adverse to um, not being in control. I think people think I want to be in control. If someone's got better ideas, I'll yeah. jump on board. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like me, basically. I'm always, people think I'm the same, but I was like, no, no, no. If you come to me, tell me you've got a four-down plan and it makes sense, yeah. I'm like, go for it, yes. do it. But I just need to have trust that you know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, I'm trying to teach my uh, older son to drive. <laughs> That's how that feels. If I, if I knew he could drive, I'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you want to have a drink with the most in the world, past or present? Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I thought so. What would you ask him? Do you want to be a client? <laughs> <laughs> What if he says no? Oh, at least I asked. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the conversation. You're getting up and then going. No, no. I'd um, so I'd probably want to find out, you know, who's, um, what kind of, you know, you go to their sales tactics, don't you? So, so trying to find pain points and what could we improve? Um, that would be interesting. Okay. How do you find time to put up stuff on Twitter and all of that? Like, how do you even think of stuff? Uh I, I think for me, social media has to be something that you enjoy doing. And if you have to think too hard about it and you're putting it up, it's it's not fun and, and it becomes a chore and it looks forced. Where I've just now got to a point where there's, you know, like say, for example, okay, here's topical, Christian Porter. Mm-hmm. You know, with that blind trust, my first thought was still, well, how is that going to be taxed? Like what's, you know, what's actually implications because the legal fees are non-deductible but if he's getting an income that he's declaring as as a personal income level that has gone to pay his legal fees like that's to me is it the trust distribution um is it in respect of his employment was that you know like it just that's just where my head goes and you know through twitter and you want to have a dialogue i 
can contact a, you know, a journalist and next minute there's an article that's, you know, what about tax consequences? Um, Interesting. Okay. So you have direct access to, to really amazing people. Fair enough. Makes sense. Kylie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like our podcast and share it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, wherever it is you hang out so more people can benefit from these speakers. Also, please subscribe on our website so you get all of our latest episodes. And if there's anything else I can help you with or you have speakers you'd love to hear from or some feedback about the current episode, please feel free to send an email to michael at recruitmentexpert.com.au. Until then, take care and I look forward to connecting with you in the future.